have your Bibles, or you can use your pew Bibles, invite you to turn to Romans chapter 3, beginning with verse 21. If you're using the pew Bibles, that's on page 941. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. I believe this is a, um, a New Testament commentary on Psalm 130, and you'll see that with that word redemption that plays a, a prominent theme in Psalm 130. But hear God's word, Romans 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Amen to this reading of God's holy and divinely inspired word. Uh, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, as we read in the psalm, that it is in your word, Lord, that I hope. We hope in your word because your word reminds us of of our sinfulness. Your word reminds us of our need for a Savior, and that Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. Your word reminds us, teaches us, Lord, about your indwelling Holy Spirit uh, that helps us, guides us, convicts us, comforts us as we study your word together. And, Lord, we ask Uh, that we would be not only hearers of your word, but doers of your word. Uh, By your grace and for your glory, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I would invite you to turn in your Bibles uh, to Psalm 130. That's going to be our text for today. That's on page 518. As you're turning there... um, I just would remind you that the the Psalms were not only read by God's people, they were sung by God's people. We sang two versions of Psalm 130 Uh, today. There's more. Uh, There's a uh, a new version out by Shane and Shane. I will wait for you. I will wait for you. Uh, They've done a whole series on on the hymns and uh, a great way to memorize the psalms, uh, to to sing them, uh, to remember them, not only in your head, but to uh, prize them in your heart. Uh, But let's begin. 
uh, Psalm 130. Let me begin uh, with this question, illustration. It's tough to give a simple answer when someone asks you uh, tough questions like these. Uh, What's your favorite season of the year? What's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Who's your favorite child? I know children love to ask that. Back you into a corner. Let me ask you as well, what's your favorite book of the Bible? Uh, What's your favorite psalm of the uh, 150 psalms? It's said that Psalm 130 uh, was a favorite psalm or a precious psalm to Augustine, uh, to Martin Luther, to John Calver, Calvin, and then to John Owen. And after reading uh, Psalm 130 uh, a fair number of times this past week and uh, doing a little bit of digging, studying, and preparing the message, you know, it has now become a, a precious psalm for me. You know, I would be hard-pressed if saying this is my favorite psalm. But as we look at this psalm, you know, why, why should it be such a precious psalm? Well, all the psalms are, uh, should be precious. But here in Psalm 130, uh, it, it's a psalm for seasons of crisis. It, it's a psalm that promises the Lord's forgiveness it's a psalm of gospel hope, a psalm of redemption. And one of the chief themes in this psalm is that of prayer. You know, as we study Psalm 130 together, you know, hear this, that, that in every crisis, may I prayerfully wait on God, my Redeemer. Well, what does it mean to wait on God in prayer? You'll see here with Psalm 130, it it breaks up very nicely, uh, four sections of two verses, and we'll follow that. Uh, Psalm 130 begins uh, with crisis, then there is a confession of sins, there is confidence in the Lord in the third section, and finally, Words of gospel comfort. Uh, We'll begin, though, with those first two verses, praying in crisis to a merciful Lord. This is Psalm, the Psalm of Ascent, number 11. Remember, these psalms were sung by God's people as they were heading up to Jerusalem on one of the three annual feasts. Uh, They were marching up to Jerusalem geographically. They were marching up. There's a spiritual sense as well. And uh, they still apply to us today. There there are psalms that apply to us on our pilgrimage of faith, heading to to glory, to to be with Christ. You know, there's a flow to these psalms as you read through them. Remember last week, Psalm 129, verse 1, began on a note of anguish. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, and now Psalm 130, verse 1, Out of the depths I cried to you, O Lord. 
You know, that, that pilgrimage of faith is a painful pilgrimage. It's not all peaches and cream. You know, yes, there, there's potholes, obstacles, enemies, dangers in, in our pilgrimage of faith. And, and what is the psalm teaching us? It's teaching us about prayer. You know, praying in crisis. Again, verse 1. You know, from the depths or out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. What are the depths? Uh, the depths of, of darkness. The, the depths of, of depravity. Maybe there's a sin issue in, in this psalmist's life. Despair. Discouragement. Depression. And, and rather than... Uh, just becoming ingrown, you know, huddling up into a small ball, he, he cries out to the Lord into this crisis. I think we've referenced this verse a few times, but, you know, think of Jonah. Jonah's prayer from the belly of the great fish. In Jonah chapter 2, why is Jonah there? Because he disobeyed God. You know, headed to Tarshish, instead of going to Nineveh, the sailors threw him over into the, into the angry seas, and God providentially sent that great fish. And Jonah wisely used his uh, time productively there in the belly of the great fish, Jonah 2, verse 1. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You know, crying out in, in crisis. You know, and as we look at three characteristics here of Christ's prayer. You know, here in these first two verses, first it's personal. You know, note to the psalmist, even though they're marching, presumably in mass to Jerusalem, we hear that personal pronoun, I cry to you, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. at, At times we pray for others, we pray corporately, but scripture here counsels us to pray personally. You know, oh Lord, hear my voice. And we make our, our petition to a prayer hearing and prayer answering God. You know, let your ears be attentive. That, that's striking on, on two different levels. You know, it speaks of God having ears. You know, God is the spirit. You know, why does scripture speak about ears? So we know that God hears our prayers. You know, and, and, and the, it's good to plead to God, Lord, let your ears be attentive. You know, lest we think that's an isolated incident that was part of Solomon's prayer that we read for our call to worship, Second Chronicles 6, verse 40. Now, O oh my God, let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to, this, to the prayer of this place. 
You know, Lord, hear my prayers. God, you're not deaf. God, you're not indifferent. You're not asleep. You know, let your ears be attentive. And then finally, he pleads for God's mercy. So three characteristics. It's personal. He petitions a prayer hearing and answering God. And he, he pleads. You know, it, it's not a once and done prayer. You know, to the voice of my pleas for mercy. You know, he, he doesn't plead for God's grace. That's an action of God. But Lord, show me your compassion during this time of crisis. You know, think back uh, on that powerful parable that Jesus teaches his followers about prayer. Um, You can find it in Luke 18. We're not going to turn there. I'd like to give a quick summary and then apply it. You know, that's a prayer of the uh, publican you know, and, and the tax collector, it begins, uh, Jesus says, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And, and you can't have two more contrasting types of prayer, two more contrasting spiritual figures. First, you have the Pharisee who's proud. He proudly stands before God. He proudly said, thanks, Lord. Thank you that I'm not like these other low-life sinners. You ever done that? I'm, I'm guilty as charged. He fasts twice a week. He tithes. You know, who could be more holy? You know, but then we see the tax collector. He prays with humility. He prays a very sh- short prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If you're ever stumbling for words to pray in times of crisis, that's a good way to start. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus tells us that that tax collector went home justified. God declared him righteous in Christ. You know, it's good to pray when you're healthy. You know, it's good to pray when they're giving God thanks. Lord, thank you. No forecasted hurricanes, and here we are in September. You know, but prepare even now to pray to God in, in crisis. Sort of like preparing for hurricanes, be prepared now. You know, that, that crisis will come in our walk of faith with Christ. That time when we will be praying from the depths. We pray that he would hear our voice, that he would hear our fervent, faithful pleas for mercy, praying in crisis to a merciful God. First lesson about prayer. Second, verses 3 and 4, praying with confession of sins to a forgiving God. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be filled. You know, there, there's a, a few different titles for the, the, for the name of God here. 
So old capital letters, L-O-R-D, speaking of Jehovah, Yahweh, the faithful covenant-keeping God. Capital L, and then all lowercase O-R-D, speaks of Adonai, the God who, to whom we submit in, in his authority, who rules and reigns over us. And actually, the word used there for Jehovah in, in verse 3 is, uh, is just a shortened phrase for, for Yahweh. Yah. But it still speaks of, of God's terrible majesty. And, and so here, as the psalmist comes before God in, in prayer, you know, he, he acknowledges his holy guilt for sins. O Lord, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities. Note there, iniquities is plural. Lord, I'm not just guilty of one sin. Lord, I'm guilty of innumerable sins. You know, here that sinner rightly grasped their guilt for sin. You know, it's not a mistake. You know, it's not a shortcoming, not a simple error of judgment. It's sin, sin before a holy God. You know, it's costly sin. If we want to better understand the the costliness of sin, go through the book of of Leviticus. Uh, I know it's slow going. Maybe you've read through it and you're... uh, your, your desire to, to read through the Bible from cover to cover, good thing, but there's a, there's a, a section in Leviticus 16. Uh, there are two goats. One goat they sacrifice for sin. The other goat is what we would call a scapegoat. And we read this, Leviticus 16.21, And Aaron, that's the high priest, and Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat. And confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. You know, it's a picture of Christ who was sent outside of the camp to die for our sins upon the cross. You know, a a holy guilt. Oh, Lord, if you should mark iniquities. What's that word mark mean? Lord, if if you should keep an account uh, of our unrighteousness. If you were to keep a real record of, of each one of our rebellions, you know, it's, it's legal terms or accounting terms. You know, Lord, if you kept a ledger, if you opened that book and said, uh, Dean, you know, here's all your sins, you know, heart attack, just in total dismay, fear, agony, anguish, you know, if you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O oh Lord, who could stand? You know, th- think of it this way. We, we stand at a number of places in our worship service, and, and that's important. You know, we, we stand 
before a holy God. You know, as we are called to worship, as we pray together, as we sing God's praises, we sit for our confession of sin, assurance of pardon. We, we recognize that we are sinners before a holy God, sinners saved by grace. You know, Lord, if you, if you kept a record, can you imagine how thick that book would be? You know, how many, if the Lord had a computer, and I know he doesn't, I don't believe there'll be any computers in heaven, no technology, no smartphones. You know, but Lord, if, if you kept a, a hard copy, oh Lord, who could stand? You know, what sinner can rightly stand before a holy and a righteous God without falling down in fear? You see examples of it throughout Scripture, but I'll give you one in the Old Testament. Nahum, chapter 1, verse 6. Who can stand before his indignation? It's speaking about God. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. You know, who could stand before you? You know, and the only way that we can stand... We go to verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. We move from holy guilt to holy grace now that, that as we confess our sins to a forgiving God. You know, if you're looking for a, uh, a, a central verse um, to, to memorize, meditate upon, I would commend to you Psalm 130, verse 4. John Owen, a Puritan who loved to write. I don't have a copy of the book, but he wrote a 320-page commentary on Psalm 130. And it said that three-quarters of that book focuses on just that one verse, Psalm 130, verse 4. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. With you there is forgiveness. There is full forgiveness. There is your amazing grace, Lord, the the promise uh, of your propitiation, as we read there in Romans, that, that God, the shed blood of Christ, cleanses us. The shed blood of Christ covers God's holy wrath against us. You know, it, it's the shed blood of Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. You know, but with you, Lord, you know, and here's our great hope. But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared, that you may be reverenced, worshipped, speaks of holy adoration with humble hearts of thanksgiving and praise. You know, so even here in the New Testament, it points us ahead to Christ. The Old Covenant points us to the New Covenant. 
You know, God, God's covenant of grace here covers all of Scripture. With you, Lord, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Yes, Christians are to cry out in their crisis of sin, but as we cry out, we cast ourselves on the mercy of God, the God who loves us in Christ. Praying with confessions of sins to a forgiving God. There is another account in the New Testament in Mark chapter 2. Again, I'll summarize it for us, but if you want to look at it later, it's a memorable story. If you were in Sunday school from a child, uh, you will remember this. There are, there are four men, four friends who are bringing their, their paralytic friend to Jesus. They're carrying him onto that, uh, onto that mat. But when they get to the house where Jesus is preaching and teaching, uh, the, the house is crowded. You know, fire marshals have shut the door, and so what do these four uh, ingenious friends do? You know, they go up to the roof. It's a flat roof. They remove part of the roof. And, uh, you know, they, they lower their friend down right in front of Jesus. Can you imagine that? Jesus probably just kept on preaching, but everyone else was uh, looking up to see what was going on. And what does Jesus first say to the, this paralytic? You remember? He says, your sins are forgiven. You know, here he is paralyzed, you know, can't move, seemingly can't walk. And what's his most important need? Need for forgiveness of sins. Your sins are forgiven, but if you look at the account, there's all sorts of scribes. You know, they crowded themselves into the house and they accused Jesus of heresy, they Ask Jesus, who can forgive sins but God alone? And then Jesus gives a short gospel presentation. He says to the scribes, but that you may know that the Son of Man, that's who Jesus is, the, the prophesied Son of Man, Son of God, Son of Man, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And Jesus says to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And what's the rest of the story? You know, he, he, he rises, takes up his bed, rolls it up, and he heads home. Not only healed, but more importantly, his sins are forgiven. You know, and all the crowd glorified God. You know, each Lord's day. You know, in our worship, we confess our sins before the Lord. And that's, that's a good thing, even after salvation. You know, Lord, I'm a sinner. Yes, a sinner saved by grace, but I still sin. And, but we hear the Lord's assurance of pardon. We, we pray God's promises back to him. But with you, there is forgiveness, Lord, that you may be feared. So praying uh, in the crisis, praying in crisis to a merciful God. Secondly, praying with confession of sins to a forgiving God. Third, confidence, praying with confidence 
to the Lord of hope. Now verses 5 and 6. You know, in prayer, the Lord our God graciously teaches every believer to actively wait upon him in faith. You and I are to wait on the Lord, knowing that he hears our voices, the voice of our pleas for mercy. In times of crisis, the Lord lovingly reminds us that he forgives our sins Now verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And then verse 6, my soul waits for the Lord. Three times there, two verses. We are reminded that we are to wait upon the Lord. Alec Motier helps us here when he writes about that word wait. Thoughts of patience, hope, and confidence. Thoughts of patience, hope, and confidence. Not like waiting into a doctor's office. For those of you who have been to a doctor's office lately, been to the doctor more time in the past few months than I have in all my life, and um, you're waiting in the big lobby, and then they say, okay, you can come to to the office, and then what do you do? You wait again. And it's like, you know, looking at your watch, they shut the door. Magazines that are 30 years old. And you you have to wait, you know, and I'm not very good at waiting. I don't know how you are. You know, or if you've been to Disneyland, they've done a marvelous study. If you've had to wait in lines, you know, you wait a little while in line and then you think I'm almost there. And you realize, man, I've got to wait another two hours. You know, but as we wait upon the Lord, we, we do it with patience and hope and confidence. You know, think of the widow Anna there in, in the temple, awaiting the Messiah there in Luke chapter 2. You know, and, and not sure how long Anna waited. She had been away. A widow and 84 years, hard to do all the math, but waiting a long time. But what happened? The Christ child came, that one for whom she had been waiting. And she rejoiced in that. You know, what does the Lord give to his children who wait with prayerful confidence in word? And hope, look again at verse 5, and in his word I hope. How do we wait on the Lord? We, we wait by reading his word, by claiming his promises, praying God's word back to him in, in hope, confidence, expectation. You know, and in his word I hope. Charles Spurgeon teaches us that God's word is, quote, the source, the strength, and the sweetness of our waiting. You know, it's not waiting with frustration, you know, but waiting with sweetness, you know, upon the Lord. I I know you're faithful, Lord. I know you hear my prayers. I know you're going to answer my prayers. With you there is forgiveness, Lord. You know, we, we are to read God's word. We are to pray God's word back to him. 
You know, just an application here this week, if you're struggling to pray, you know, have your Bible open to Psalm 130. Your eyes can be open and just pray God's word back to him. You know, out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. Or are praying, you know, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Or, or praying, Lord, I, I wait upon you. Lord, I, you know, I've been, I've been bringing this prayer request to you for, for a while, Lord. When are you going to answer? But Lord, may I wait. Wait with hope. May my soul, at the very core of my being, And in your word, may I hope. You know, more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. You know, usually there were were four hours of our four shifts in the night watch, six to nine, nine to midnight, midnight to 3 a.m., but then 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. or to uh, first light, sunrise, and it's said that the hardest watch was that last watch of the night. Everyone's asleep. You're tired. You know, why can't I go back to bed like everyone else? And you keep looking to the east. You know, when, when's that sun going to rise? When is my, my shift going to come to an end? You know, Lord, may I wait upon you more than watchmen wait for the morning. You know, in prayer, we wait on the Lord with patience, confidence, and hope. We pray with perseverance to God who hears and answers prayer. You know, thinking about sunrise. um, True story, I may have told it before, but when I was a freshman at college, Lynn and I went to Gordon College, in Massachusetts, it's not too far from the Atlantic Ocean, and I uh, didn't have a vehicle then, had a 10-speed bike that was my high school graduation gift, and I looked at uh, the paper, I saw what time sunrise was going to be the next morning, I figured out how long I'd have to ride my bike, so I had the great idea, well, I'll get up real early, I can't remember what time. I'll ride my bike and I'll get there to the ocean and I'll get to behold the sun rising over the ocean. What a beautiful sight that will be. No, I didn't have a helmet. No, I didn't, don't think I even had a flashlight. You know, somehow I lived to tell the story by God's grace. You know, and so all the way I'm biking up there. Instead of thinking, man, what was I thinking when I planned this? You know, I kept thinking, man, that's going to be a beautiful sunrise. I can't wait to get there. And you can probably guess the end of the story. I got to Singing Sands Beach there in Manchester, and it turned out to be a foggy, cloudy morning. You know, and so you could see the light of the sun, but it wasn't that, oh, man, here comes the sun out of the ocean. Uh, but we are to wait upon the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. And when that morning comes, we most certainly will not be disappointed. It's going to be glorious. 
when Christ comes again. You know, and in prayer, we pray with confidence, knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ, who became flesh, tempted in all ways as we are, suffered for our sins there on the cross, crucified, dead, and buried, rose again from the dead, even now reigns in glory, the one who is truly God, truly man, He's coming again. You know, and, and in prayer where we are confessing with confidence, you know, our, our, our hope, our faith, our trust in Christ, our, our risen Redeemer, our returning King, praying with confidence to the Lord of hope. Finally, uh, fourth, praying with comfort in, in a redeeming Lord. If you're trying to follow the outline here, First, praying in crisis to a merciful Lord. Secondly, praying with confession of sins to a forgiving God. Third, praying with confidence to the Lord of hope. Finally, praying with comfort in a redeeming Lord. Now this this prayer, this personal prayer, grows into a call for all of Israel to be praying. May all of God's chosen children know the comfort of a redeeming God. Verse 7 Psalm 130, O Israel, hope in the Lord. You know, actually a command. You know, hope, wait upon the Lord. Wait, O Israel, all of God's chosen, redeemed children. And that includes us. O Israel, hope in the Lord. Why? For with the Lord there is steadfast love. There is covenant faithfulness you know what what a glorious and gracious comfort for us as we pray to the lord remembering that nothing can separate us from the love of god in christ O israel hope in the lord for with the lord there is unfailing love unending love in christ and with him is plentiful redemption i, I love that word plentiful you know think think of jesus you know feeding the crowd of five thousand breaking the the bread and the fish they served the 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 crowds and and guess what they had leftovers you know 12 baskets and with him there is plentiful more than enough you know when we think our sins are so great we're in despair discouragement you know, here God's word says, and with him is plentiful redemption. You know, remember that every time you or I pray. Plentiful redemption. We, we saw that word redemption in Romans 3. Let me read that again for us. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Plentiful redemption in Christ. You know, who died for our sins there on the cross of Calvary. And just one more. 
can't resist Hebrews 9, verse 12, Hebrews 9, 12. And he, that is Christ, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing in eternal redemption. So plentiful redemption, eternal redemption. Redemption, the costly sacrifice of Christ on the cross, his suffering in our stead. Close with this story and a a couple applications. You know, when Martin Luther was asked which were the best psalms, and Luther loved the psalms, um, he had an interesting reply. Which were the best psalms? He replied, the Pauline psalms. You scratch your head. I didn't know Apostle Paul wrote any psalms. And then he said uh, 32, 51, 130, 143. And what he meant to say, or what he was implying, you know, the gospel psalms. You know, those those psalms that, that remind us, that teach us about the crisis of sin, the need for confession of sins, our confident hope in the Lord, and the comfort of redemption. He not only wrote uh, that hymn that we sang this morning on Psalm 130, but it said that Psalm 130 was sung at his funeral, you know, at his request. You know, this week, you know, let me encourage you, you know, to meditate on, on Psalm 130. You know, read through it every day. First thing in the morning, last thing at night. Let me encourage you, and you can hold my feet to the fire. Let me encourage you to memorize it. Eight, eight verses. As well, it's a psalm to be prayed. Especially that, that fourth verse. You know, as we're waiting on the Lord in times of crisis, overwhelming sin. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you. We thank you for the word of God, your word that gives us hope and strength, pointing us always to Christ, Christ our Redeemer, Christ the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And uh, Lord God, we pray today that in our crisis and our, our, our too often chaotic world, Father, you know, plant our feet uh, upon Christ, that solid rock. May we sing and say, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. May we cry out to you in prayer, but Lord, thank you for the comfort the confidence you give, the assurance that with you there is plentiful redemption. And we give you praise always in Jesus' name. Amen.